Who's familiar with Glocal? Yeah, well, it is great. And as Jill and Isaac shared, it's going to be a fantastic morning. It's going to be heaps of fun. Um, but far more than those things, I just really want to encourage you to, um, to just do all you can to be here that Sunday. Glocal is far more than just um, a one, one-off Sunday in the year for us. Um, Glocal has been a part of our church DNA for 20 years. And we go, no, we think it's really important as a church to give what we can into the mission of Jesus. Yes, in our local community, but globally as well. As you heard Jill say, say Jill and Isaac, um, we've seen over $2 million given into missions uh, across the globe and throughout Australia. And that is due to your generosity. That's due to your commitment to uh, seeing your money invested into the things of the kingdom, not just your money, your time and your energy. Um, So thank you for that. But I did just want to say, do all you can to be here. If there is one Sunday of the year that I think sums up New Vine, it is Glocal Sunday. So... This isn't a get out of jail. You don't just get to show up for one Sunday. But if it's going to be one Sunday, have it be um, May, that last one in May, because it's going to be a great time together. Um, If if you're there going, we don't really know what Glocal is. We've heard it's a little bit. I encourage you to um, find Jill. Uh, Find uh, Jill and DJ, particularly are a part of our Glocal team, and um, chat to them about it. If you want to ask questions, uh, find those guys. But it's going to be a great morning together. Um, Hey, well, we are continuing with a little bit of a mini-series that we are calling The Divine Dress Code, where we um, are looking at a number of Paul's letters to some of these uh, early churches, and he's encouraging them, uh, the little phrase we're looking at is he encourages them to put on um, different characteristics of Christ. Week one... Uh, Luke shared with us from Romans 13, where Paul encourages the church to put on Christ. Um, Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul was sort of going, hey, as you put on Christ, you are Christ's ambassadors to the world around you. Last week, uh, we looked at Colossians 3, where Paul encourages the church to put on love And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And this morning, uh, we are going to look at Paul encouraging this church to put on their new nature, the church in Ephesus. Um, Chapter 4, verse 23 says, To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Um, And now the remainder of this chapter is quite a practical one from Paul. In fact, the passage we're looking at is titled Instructions for Christian Living. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It sort of seems like it could be one of those nice posters you'd buy from Koorong and hang on your toilet door or something like that. It's not one of those easy like, in this family we smile and we love and we forgive. It's not that easy uh, a passage. It's not quite as palatable as something like that. But nonetheless, Paul gives some very practical advice to this church in Ephesus. And that's what we are going to do today. We're going to get a little bit practical. And that is because earlier in the week, I was chatting with the lovely Jill Beecroft. And she gave me a little bit of feedback on my sermon from last week. She said, Isaac... I know context is important, but just tell us what to do. So, 
this morning, that's what you're getting, all right? And if you've got any issues with that, you need to take it up with Jill because it came from the top. Um, But hey, as we get into this passage, I'm just going to invite you to stand. Um, I would love for us just to pray as we come to read God's Word. Um, Thank Him for His goodness. Acknowledge that He's sovereign and thank Him for the gift of the Bible. Uh, So Father, we thank You for the time that we have this morning, the opportunity to gather as Your church, God, to worship, to, to sing, to thank You for who You are and now to open Your Word. We thank You for the gift of the Bible. And Father, as we read from it this morning, we just ask uh, that you would take these words on a page and give them life. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you bring alive the things that we read this morning? Would we grow in our understanding of you and your heart for us and your heart for the world around us? So we commit these things to you. Amen. Great, thank you. Hey, um, well, if you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Ephesians 4, verse 15. Sorry, I'm just going to drop this on the ground. Well, not drop it, that would be bad. Um, so, here we go. Instructions for Christian living. So, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is Jesus... You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. That's good, hey? Can you see also why it wouldn't really fit on your lounge room wall very well? There's a lot going on there. But there's some really good stuff. Um, And as we know, Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. As we also know, Paul wasn't writing to New Vine, Maryland. That doesn't mean that uh, this passage isn't applicable in any way. And absolutely, the Word of God is the Word of God. 
Yes, it is the truth of God, but the context, if you've been around here at all, you've heard me say that context is really important. So what I want us to do is a little bit backwards here. I actually want us to jump forwards uh, a chapter and just read a passage that I think gives um, a, a great foundation to understanding the context of sort of the rest of this letter, and we'll work backwards from that a little bit. Um, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and many of you will be familiar with this passage. Some of you may love it, some of you may hate it, some may have it highlighted, some may have hit it with the whiteout, but I wouldn't mind betting that if you have been around church, if you have spent any amount of time reading the Word of God or, or listening to sermons or whatever it is, you have possibly seen this passage um, actually used in somewhat of an oppressive manner. Um, today, though, we're going to be looking at a bit of a different angle from that. So bear with me. Uh, chapter 5, verse 21, if you will, uh, and this is titled, Instructions for Christian Households. Paul says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as church is the head, sorry, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her himself as a radiant sorry and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own body bodies he who loves his wife loves himself now i realize these two passages don't mesh seamlessly okay these aren't two that you naturally would link together but what I want us to do is to use this passage to give us a bit of a snapshot um, as to just how radical a lifestyle Paul was calling this church in Ephesus to live um, rather than some sort of random appearance of gender roles from Paul we actually see Paul set an incredibly sacrificial and countercultural standard in this letter and in this passage here. And what I mean by this is if you were living in Ephesus at the time that Paul wrote this, um, undoubtedly you were familiar with Artemis of Ephesians, um, the Roman goddess of fertility. In fact, uh, the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, was in Ephesus. Um, so this belief system and the heart of it was rooted in Ephesus. Um, and now, as was not uncommon during this time, the temple of Artemis was um, quite well known for temple prostitution. In fact, some religious systems believed that um, a sort of spiritual enlightenment came through sex. And temple prostitution existed to facilitate this spiritual seeking or worshipping of the gods. Um, so for men, the seeking of this enlightenment equated to the objectifying of women. But also in this culture, there was this funny thing that happened in that in some ways, um, 
women holding the keys to enlightenment caused their role of prostitution to be somewhat of a spiritual one. Or again, an act of worship, if you will. And it also created somewhat of a hierarchy where women held um, a form of power, albeit a spiritual one, in this sense. And the example of commitment that Paul is calling uh, husbands and wives to here is pretty radical for this time. Um, Alongside this, Ephesus hosted the annual Artemisian festival where the statue of Artemis was taken from the temple in Ephesus. It was taken down into the harbour and it was washed by a priest. It was cleansed. Um, But then what often resulted was, oh, sorry, and that process, uh, Artemis being the goddess of fertility, that process of cleansing in the harbour was believed to restore Artemis's virginity in this process. But what often followed this was the trip from the harbour back to the temple saw um, believers or followers, if you will, um, often engage in quite rampant debauchery and sexual immorality as uh, they believed they needed to um, take back or cause Artemis to lose this metaphorical virginity before arriving back at the temple. So this festival was messy and it was full of sexual immorality and a whole bunch of stuff that you would look at and go, what is going on? So I tell you this, well, I want you to just step back in time for a moment and put yourself in a culture that is steeped in sexual immorality. I realize that's a very big generalization, but roll with me here. Um, A culture who had a belief system, parts of which were centered around a spiritual enlightenment that came through temple prostitution. That temple prostitution was a culturally accepted, it was actually a act of, an act of worship for a people group. And Paul says this, Paul says, hey, wives, I want you to submit, I want you to commit to your husbands, just him, no one else. I want you to give up your loyalty to Artemis and commit to your husband. And then he says, and men, if your wives are going to give up their social and cultural rights, their spiritual identity in many parts, in submission to their husbands, in order to tell the the world of Ephesus a different story, you better love her. You better love her as Christ loves the church. Protect her in a culture that objectifies women. Protect her in a culture that will mock her for her commitment to you, her faithfulness to you. Love her as Christ loved the church. And Paul knew that this little family, this little church in Ephesus, if it was going to show the world what God was like, they would need to love and submit to one another in a very unique way, in a radical way, a way that is so countercultural, it's probably a little hard for you and I to comprehend. And in the same way, if you and I wish to have anything to say to the world around us, 
we are going to have to find it within ourselves to pursue this new humanity that shows unity and love and service to those that may be far away from Christ. So what do we need to do? What do we do within our church? In our context, what does that look like? Well, with this sort of perspective um, in mind, I want us to jump back into chapter 4. So picking up in verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. So see, this letter from Paul, these passages were not an easy read for the church in Ephesus. It wasn't all sunshine and flowers for them. It was a church birthed in a culture that was opposed to much of what their belief system valued. And Paul keeps saying, we and us. He says, hey, we are in this Together, we read elsewhere, Paul say, there is no Jew or Gentile, there's just humanity. God needs you to be an example of unity and love, an example of commitment to God and to one another. And so this is the Isaac version of what he says. He says, hey, uh, in a culture drowned in immorality, don't lie. Be honest. Because God is truthful. When you see things that make you angry, don't sin. In fact, don't even go to sleep if you're angry. Solve that. And stealing, stop stealing. In fact, what I want you to do instead of stealing is work hard so that you can earn. But not just for you. I actually want you to work hard so that if you come across someone in need, heaven forbid it would be one of those sexually immoral Artemisians, but if you do, help them. If you do, feed them and clothe them. Give them somewhere to stay because that's what Jesus would do. Unwholesome talk, cut it out. All I want you to use is words of encouragement. That's what you do now. You build people up and don't be bitter or angry, no fighting, swearing, but instead be kind and compassionate and quick to forgive because that's what Jesus would do, because Christ forgave you. I want to just again remind you of the culture these people are in and what Paul is asking of them. But he's asking it of them because he knows that's the kind of church that can change the world. The kind of church that can bring the good news of Jesus into a community and see it transformed, a church that is counter-cultural, a church that is bound together in love, 
a church whose eyes are fixed on Jesus and their hearts fixed on the world around them. What does that church offer the world? What does our church offer the world? But even closer to home, as a follower of Jesus, what do you offer the world? What sort of unique and radical steps are you taking to be Jesus to the world around you? So, as we wrap up, thanks to Jill, we're getting practical. So I want to ask you, if we work through this letter from Paul, what does radical honesty look like for you? Now, don't get confused. That's not go and say whatever you're thinking. That's a different kind of honesty. What does radical honesty look like for you? What does it look like to be someone who is true to their word? Are there broken promises you need to rectify? Is your yes a yes? Is your no a no? Because the Jesus in you is trustworthy. And as we represent him, we too are called to be trustworthy. In your anger, don't sin. Does anger get the better of you? Maybe you're not the person to answer that question. Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask your colleagues or employees. Does, work, does anger get the better of you? Do you need to apologize for that? Because the Jesus in you has control over anger. Work hard so that you can share with those in need. When's the last time you or I looked for the opportunity to give to someone in need? And there's, there's all these great ways to do that. Yes, global, um, compassion, all those. But those things aside, you, just in your own life, when's the last time you took the opportunity to be radically generous? Pay for someone's groceries or fuel? When's the last time you volunteered your time into something with nothing in return on the horizon? When's the last time you opened up your home to some strangers or close to? Because that's the sort of generosity that Jesus would show. Be kind and compassionate. When's the last time your neighbors experienced your kindness? When's the last time a stranger got your attention? Not just a high on the way past, but when's the last time someone you didn't know got your full undivided attention because you care? Because the Jesus in you is kind. And lastly, if we follow Paul's letter again, when's the last time you forgave? When's the last time that you forgave radically? Not because the dust had settled, but because you chose forgiveness over bitterness or resentment. Maybe you need to forgive. Maybe there's someone that you know you've been holding and harboring bitterness towards. Maybe you need to call them and apologize for that because Jesus is always quick to forgive. Now, if this isn't practical enough, we're going one step further, all right? This is where you can take out your pen and paper and write down some other things. This is like youth group style, okay? Here's five ways that you can practically serve people. The first one, I think, is a great one. There's an initiative called A Thousand Notes of Friendship. 
Has anyone heard of this? Um, a Thousand Notes of Friendship. And it was an initiative. Uh, we have seen the UK appoint a minister for loneliness. There is a loneliness epidemic happening across the globe. Um, in Australia, 25% of people that live alone are elderly Australians. So this Thousand Notes of Friendship was an initiative to link elderly people who live alone or are in nursing homes, essentially create like a pen pal system where you can just write letters and it, a letter of encouragement, a letter of, hey, I'm not sure who you are, but I care about you and I hope you're doing well. And it gets sent to a someone, you don't know who that is, and all of a sudden a connection is made. Um, they, the target was to try and do a thousand letters, I think, in six months, and they landed a thousand in like the first two weeks. And a whole bunch of people, schools, jumped on with this initiative, getting kids to just draw pictures and write letters that get sent off to people across Australia. Is that writing a letter that is sharing the good news of Jesus? Maybe it's not quite that practical, but Jesus showed compassion and kindness. Jesus cared for people. How is it that we as the church do that? Another very practical one is somewhere like Vinnie's is always looking for volunteers. You can wash clothes. You can put tags on things. There are youth programs. There are additional needs, care groups. Foster care. You can do training for respite care or long-term care. The SES have been busy the last couple of years. And you and I can help out. And why wouldn't we? Is the SES a Christian organisation? Maybe not. Does that mean that it's not worth investing in? Absolutely not. How is it that we as the church serve people? School scripture. I'm going to give them a quick pat on the back. I know there's a lot of people teaching school scripture. Bruce and Sue Snedden are legends, if you don't know them. The other morning... Aside from scripture, Bruce is part of the crew here that come in on a Thursday and help out with just maintenance jobs around here. And, sorry Bruce, I didn't even give Bruce a heads up that I was sharing this. Bruce was doing some painting the other morning and I got back into my office and there's a note on my desk from Bruce. Isaac, I'm so sorry I didn't get a chance to put the paint away. I had to run off to teach scripture. And I thought, Bruce, I'll put that paint away every day of the week. That's all. That's amazing. How is it that uh, we can engage with an opportunity like school scripture? But maybe it's easier. Maybe it's mowing your neighbor's lawn or having them over for lunch or volunteering at your kid's school. Adopt a road. Go to a soup kitchen. We don't have to spend much time to see that opportunities to serve are everywhere around us. And within our community as if the church shouldn't be leading the charge in all of those spaces. The opportunity to serve people. What does the future hold for a church that throws itself in to being Jesus in its community? And I think maybe the message Paul would have for our church today would be similar to the one he had for this church in Ephesus. Sure, you can sit around in a little bubble and sing together, and there's a place for that. But man, this is meant to be way bigger than that. You can do that, but you can also radically love the world. 
You can also show outrageous acts of forgiveness and kindness in hopes that people would experience the presence of Jesus through those interactions. So for you, as an ambassador of Jesus, for you as someone who has been called to live counterculturally, actually called to live quite radically counterculturally, culturally, what is your call to action this week? That's not for me to decide. Maybe it starts really small. Maybe you make a meal for someone you know is doing it tough. Or maybe you go all in and do something crazy. But how exciting would it be to see people joining this church off the back of radical acts of love? I feel like that's sort of the thing Paul was saying to this church. Hey, forget about what's going on in culture. Like, don't try and fix it. Don't get your defences up because it's not quite the way you like. Just radically love these people. Just be outrageous with your forgiveness and your compassion and your kindness and allow God to be at work, trusting that by the power of his Holy Spirit, people would experience him. That's an exciting church to be a part of, yes? That's not one that happens by accident. That's not one that happens at an organisational level, but it's one that starts at home. It's one that maybe starts with us eyeballing a lack of compassion. Maybe it's eyeballing a short fuse. Maybe it's eyeballing bitterness and a lack of kindness. Well, I encourage you to bring those things before the Lord and ask that by the power of his Holy Spirit, he would transform those things in you, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be evident in your life, that they would be evident within the lives of our church and that our community would experience Jesus through those things. I'm going to invite the musos up and invite you to stand as we wrap up. Well, Father, we thank you that you are good. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your compassion. God, we thank you that you are slow to anger, that you are quick to forgive. And Father, the blessing it is for us to experience those things in our life. But God, may we also rise to the challenge of being those things to others. God, we thank you that you love the church. Thank you that you believe in the church. And God, we stand here believing that our community would experience you. God, may we be a church who is quick to care. May we be a church who is known for its love of people, not its judgment. May we be known as a church who is quick to help, quick to serve, because that's what Jesus was like. So God, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring forth those things in our lives, that we, as we read, we would be people who exude the power of 
the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit would be evident within our lives. Father, and we trust that you will do the rest. God, that you will bring people into a place of meeting you and experiencing those things for themselves. We thank you again for your church and the privilege it is to be a part of it. God, that you would partner with us in the hope that the world would understand and see the love of Jesus. Amen.